0: Welcome to Hope for the Heart. I welcome you back, those of you who have been listening and those of you who are listening maybe for the first time. It's time for us to look at the prophetic scripture tonight. We're studying the book of Revelation and uh, it's always exciting for me to be able to dive into this book. As hard as it is and as difficult as it is to preach, it's uh, always a, a great challenge for me and one that I know that I'm blessed with and I certainly hope and pray that you're blessed But we're looking at the 7th chapter of the book of Revelation, and again today our text is taken from verses 9 through 17. Uh, Last time we met, we uh, discussed verses 1 through 8, and uh, actually took two parts, and this is going to take two parts. And so I want to uh, give us the context, I want to read this to you as we look at this. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7. And I'm going to read just a couple of verses. Uh, It covers all 9 through 17, but I'm not going to read all of that because, first thing, I know I'm not going to be able to to hit all the points of 9 through 17. I'll hit just a few points, and then we'll continue this uh, next time. So, for right now, the, the Word of God reads, beginning in verse 9 of the book of Revelation in chapter 7. Again, that's Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. The Word of God says, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This might seem like a, a very a straightforward kind of a text. It would be kind of easy to go through, but it's uh, actually not. It's, in fact, it's one that I looked at. is like, well, okay, when I get to seven, I can just relax a little bit, but it's going to be a relatively straightforward, but it's really not. When I think about this verse... I think about growing up and uh, thinking, I, I'm not growing up, but after I became a Christian, thinking about, which so many Christians do, uh, how we pray for revival. How we we, we, we pray for a worldwide revival like uh, something we had never seen before or, or we've heard of, but always would don't want to know what it would be like to be in a revival. And so as I, I bring this message, I want you to just think with me for a minute. If you were to be in a revival, what do you think it would be like? Uh, I know that probably most of us have not. I've been in some times where uh, the Word of God was preached and there was a lot of excitement in a church at a time or two, and it was probably as close as I've been to a revival that uh, maybe even is closer than some people have been. But there are revivals, true revivals, not some things that we hear about through the charismatic movement, but true revivals of God that we hear about from time to time. But I think about how it would what it would be like how would people who have actually been in a revival describe it well to begin with i think we're headed towards this i think this text is something that is an eye opening text for us because i know right now in america there's a lot of christians that are praying for a revival for this country they they think that the, really the end has pretty much come when uh, when uh, biden stepped in and the, some of the laws and some of the things that are happening in our country uh, I've heard people say that, uh, and I want you to know God is sovereign, and God is on the throne, and God appointed Him for our time, and uh, it, it's a hard thought because it's, it's we see such we see such anger today, we see such division today, and it seems like well the answer would be for a worldwide or at least an American revival to would just shake things up. And certainly all of us as Christians have prayed through the ages for this, and many are praying now. Well, what would it be? What would happen in America if we were to have a true revival? Well, I'm here to tell you one's coming. And it's not going to just be America. It's going to be worldwide. We have prayed for great awakenings and great revivals and great movements, movings of God's Spirit. And we have prayed for people and families and cities and nations to come to Christ. We have prayed that someday... There might be a sweeping revival across the land, and sure enough, uh, there will be. In fact, this Bible passage tonight speaks of a revival in in a different kind of a way. This would not be the way most people would talk about one if they were to be involved in a true revival. Uh, and it, you'll see that as, as this passage begins to unfold. But first of all, we know that God desires all men to be saved. That's why He gave Christ. That's why He calls on us to pray. And we read such passages as the Lord is not slow as His promises. Some people count slowness, but is patient toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so we know that God is a saving God. But we also know uh, that a lot of we just don't see a lot of salvation. We see some from time to time in the church, and we hear of some but not on a scale that would be just unbelievable. So at the same time as we think about a worldwide revival, it, it would be something to think about, to, to think of a large number of people. In fact, we see that here. We see a large numbers of people uh, being saved, and it's, uh, it's unbelievable. So you would think, well, a revival like that would have to be in the, the best of times. But that's not what we read in the scriptures. We read that this will be a great revival worldwide, but it's not going to be in the best of times. It's actually going to be during the worst of times. The worst of times in human history, we're going to see the greatest number of souls saved. In fact, it's the greatest number of souls saved in the shortest period of time. Basically, we're looking at about three and a half years worth of people being saved. And there's going to be multitudes and multitudes of people saved. It's going to be a day of Satan's full wrath. It's going to be a day of unleashing demonic power over the face of the earth. It's going to be a time when the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit is taken away and sins run absolutely unchecked and wild. It's going to be a time of terrorizing dictatorship of the Antichrist and all that's going to be involved with in that and even his demanding of the mark of the beast and the the uh, not being able to buy, sell, or trade unless you have that mark. It's going to be a time of his revenge, his getting uh, his time with, with, with people and killing them. It's going to be a time of God's unrestrained fury as the whole world is engulfed in his wrath. As he lets loose powerful judgments that will destroy, yes, destroy, men and women. It's going to be a time of war. We even saw in, in Revelation chapter 6. It's going to be a time of famine, earthquakes, pestilence, wild animal destruction and death and plagues, and a collapsing universe, as the end of chapter 6 of Revelation talks about. A splintering and fracturing of earth, fracturing, fracturing of earth that will kill billions of people. And culminate in a time called the Day of the Lord, in a day of the fury of God. So, in the it's the very midst of this time that God will will be who He is. He is going to save a lot of people, and so that is a unique way to look at a revival. It's not one that we would think about because this revival is seen from the from the vantage point of heaven. All that are going to die after becoming saved, like almost like immediately. In fact, that's going to be their death. Their salvation is going to be uh, a testimony for Christ, and that will be ultimately their death. So, now, in in thinking about this, the saving work of God at this time of period, uh, this time in, in America and through the world, it's really twofold because we know that salvation is important to remember because it's uh, it involves all of Israel when we think about salvation in the end. And on the other hand, the nations of the world, known as the Gentile nations. And so, it reminds me or brings me to the fact that Israel, uh, is, salvation is coming through Israel. In fact, we read places where all Israel will be saved. And so, we look at the end and we begin to realize that God, just in this chapter before, has set aside 144,000 uh, Jewish men evangelists, which so we have concluded they will probably be on a mission. In Revelation chapter seven, we've already gotten a taste of that in the first eight verses, and then we meet twelve thousand out of the tribes of each of the uh, uh, twelve thousand men from the, each of the tribes of Israel. They will be redeemed. They will be. Uh, they are redeemed, and they will be sealed and protected during the time of tribulation. And so we we've said they will probably become uh, uh, missionaries or evangelists, speaking and what what that could do to the world. So salvation is for all Israel coming, but it's also for the nations, the other nations or the Gentile nations. Now this goes back to Genesis chapter twelve, and I'm only going to just hit this for a second in the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, it says that the nations of Israel, I will bless you and make your name great, so that you, shall, you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And then here it is at the end of that Abrahamic covenant in uh, Genesis chapter 12. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, we've seen uh, how that has been partial fulfillments through ever since that, that was actually given in Genesis chapter 12. All through the rest of the Old Testament, into the church age and all through, you can have a spe- so number of specific fulfillments. It was through them, that the Old Testament, that, in, that any nation or any person other than Israel heard the truth because of the law, the prophets, and the testimonies. In other words, God used this, but they failed basically at delivering the, the message to the world. But it's interesting to note that the Bible still talks about this. Like in Psalm 67, it says in verse 1, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. And then it says why? Why? It answers that. Why? That they may be known throughout the earth, the salvation among all nations. And then down in verse 7 of Psalm 67, it says God blesses us in order that all the ends of the earth may fear Him. God has designed them to be his witness nation, and they were in part temporarily, and then, of course, they failed and had to be set aside, and a new people were called out, namely the church. And I believe, again, in the end, in the future time of the end, the great testimony of the 144,000 uh, sealed, protected uh, saints of, of, of the Old Testament, I mean the saints of, the, of Revelation chapter 7, during the tribulation period, will once again be bringing a message of God's judgment and the kingdom coming to the world, and people are going to be responding. I think there's going to be a response all over. In other words, God put his saving power on display through Israel in order that he might reach the nations of the world. And that is going to happen like we've never seen it happen before. Of course, I say like we've seen it, and uh, not seen it before, but we're not actually going to see it. If you're saved today, part of the church, the Church of uh, the true Church of Christ, uh, then you will not be here during the tribulation. Remember, this church has already been raptured out, but after that, God is going to put his saving power on display through Israel in order that he might reach the nations of the world, uh, and they will, They are going to succeed. They are going to be very successful at their reaching the rest of the world. And so we're going to uh, witness this in this chapter. This is what this chapter is actually about. Uh, We find so many Old Testament passages that talk about this. Isaiah chapter 11, it will come about in that day. A uh, future day from then, and still future for us, it will come about in that day that the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. That a messianic term, they will, which is a messianic term, they will turn to the Lord, the Messiah. He will stand as a signal for the people. That means Gentiles, and his resting place will be glorious. In other words, there's coming a time when the nations of the world bow their knee to the Messiah. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming, and we are looking at this chapter. As a, as an excellent view from heaven as to the results of this. That's why I'm entitling this message today: the world's greatest revival. We don't see it from the world's advantage. We don't see how that happens, but we're going to take a look at it in part through the the uh, the terrible persecution and the the rage of the antichrist and the false prophet and the judgments. All of that is going to be producing of what this result is going to be. So always God's plan with Israel was to use to reach the world just when they set aside his plan. Uh, and then God turned to the church to reach the world as he made clear in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then we see uh, this, even more verses that describe the kind of thing that we're talking about. So I want to get into this passage. Uh, the look, Looking at this text, it's again, it's, it covers verses 9 through 17. But the text is very clear in some ways of, of uh, describing this, is, is, at least if you have a, a thought of this going into it. that He says in this text that if, if you look at verse 1, uh, I, the, the, the outline is going to be very, very simple. The very first, number one on the outline is there's a comment. The first is a comment. And they're all going to begin with C, and so it's just one word, uh, things to use to describe the outline here. It'll be about two or three points, and then we'll go to next time. Uh, So the first thing is a comment, and I want to say about the comment. He says, begins this verse with, after these things. And after these things is a way of telling us that the scene is changing. Uh, We're looking at a description from these people. John begins by saying, after these things, I looked. In fact, it even says that, after these things, I looked. But in the actual Greek, it actually reads, after these things is one word, and then another word is behold. Uh, After these things, behold. It's a comment on that because it's a kind of key little phrase, and he's saying, after this, I beheld, or I looked, or or I saw, Each time there's this phrase in the New Testament, I mean, in the book of Revelation, it means that there's a new vision here. That John is all, all of this we are considering as a vision, but there's many different visions within the book of Revelation that he pieces together as he writes this. So starting in verse 9, we have a vision that is separate from the one in chapter 7, verses 1 to 8. It's a different time. In other words, the scene actually changes some, is what he is saying. So, After he says that, behold, it puts an exclamation on it. It's a startling vision of verse 9. It's a shocking vision. Now remember by the time John was on the Isle of Patmos, in his old age as an older man and an older apostle, say around 96 A.D., this is 30 years after that. And so John is probably long gone, but this is after that period of time, so it's around 110, 115 to 120 uh, AD, and it is a, a time when uh, they're receiving uh, instruction and, and, and persecution is, is bounding, which we saw in the seven churches of Asia Minor, and, and so we, we know that there's a lot going on there, but this is going to be even worse than all of that time. This is going to be something that is described in such a way that it is going to be uh, uh, amazingly shocking To the world. What is actually happening at the world. But the world won't see. What we're seeing from this vantage point. We're looking at it from heaven. And the world living through this. Will only be able to focus. Basically on the destruction. And the wrath and the fury. Of planet earth. So. uh, He gives this here. As as a, a way to describe the event. So first we see the comet, But the second. He looks at the crowd. Look at what he says. I looked. And remember, it's shocking to him. Behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, from tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne. And so he sees this number. Here it's indefinite number. It's not the same as the 144,000 in the first part of this chapter. This is a different group of people. Now that might be those people are on the earth. These people are in heaven. And these people... Uh, or, or, or described as a very large multitude. He says, no man can count. The number was too high. The crowd was too large. God knew it, but it could not be counted. Now, I don't know how many that is, but it's interesting that all these people came from the earth during this, most likely most of them during the second half of the, of the uh, tribulation period, And that number is a large number. This crowd is a number of people, They get this, that were killed on the earth after they were saved on the earth. There was not another rapture. There is a time where these people will be murdered or killed, or they may die in the actual wave of judgments that is going to be poured out. These people come from every nation, tribe, peoples, tongues. And that is the way that the Bible uses, especially in Revelation, to designate all the peoples of the world. It is a way to identify broadly and very comprehensively the people of the world by saying every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. And so that is simply giving us a description of that crowd. And by the way, the phrase appears again in the in, uh, in other places, like chapter 11, verse 9, chapter 13, verse 7, chapter 14, verse 6. And this persecuted believers fleeing and preaching all over the world, it's 144,000, and they are seeing a lot of people saved. In fact, we, we, we can pretty much indicate from this that a lot of these people are going to be saved one moment and die the next uh, because of the testimony they're going to have for Christ. But it's going to the work of this 144,000 is going to ignite a revival that is going to result in this massive number of people embracing Christ. And I guess we could conclude that the church was not able to succeed in what their mission was to take the uh, gospel to the ends of the earth. But they will; these tribulation saints will. And remember, they're going to have the help of two witnesses that we're going to see in chapter eleven. They're going to have the help of an angel flying in mid heaven in chapter fourteen and fifteen. And then these hundred forty-four thousand. And so it's going to be an amazing thing. So not only do we see the comment of of this new vision, and then the crowd being described here, being in multiple uh, thousands or millions in the in the crowd that no one could count. We also notice. Their clothing. And their clothing is, is really indicative of of another way of describing the crowd. Further described uh, at the end of the verse as being clothed in white robe and palm branches were in their hands. Their clothed in white robe gives us insight in their condition. The word white, by the way. And I wish I had time to really dive into this. Uh, because remember, these are souls. They have not received their new body. And so the white here is really a word that that means brilliant or dazzling. It's not like a white color, like white paper. It's like a dazzling, brilliant, shining, light kind of white. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what it is. They have robes that are dazzling and brilliant. And we've seen this already in some of the clothing in chapter 6. We see those under the altar, and obviously these have joined this new group, and so it makes the crowd even more uh, as far as number to look at. And so we have a startling thing going on here with this, with this crowd and their clothing, and it's, uh, it's clothing that is indicative, we've said of, of white meaning uh, always re- would mean salvation. And so these are obviously have been given their robes, as chapter six indicated, they were given their robes of white and told they must wait a while until their their brethren throughout the world were to join them. And so this is a, an interesting time, but it's what we see here with the robes given to them. It would be more of symbols of righteousness. These are symbols of victory. They're symbols of celebration. And all those things are related to the wearing of white robes. And there's no need to assume they have actual bodies yet because they don't. They, we don't see that until Revelation chapter 20, and we'll take a look at that when we get there. So this vision is the souls, and by the way, they're even called souls back in verse 6, verse 9, uh, the souls of those who have been slain, that was in chapter 6. And so we know they're so, souls, and we know they're saved, and we know it's symbolic here, uh, a picture of salvation and victory because of the white dazzling robes they have. But also it says they have palm branches in their hands. It's a very interesting thing. Palm branches were always celebrated with celebration. Palm branches with celebrations. Uh, in fact, we see that on the, uh, in, in in John, we've seen it in, in different of the Gospels, talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, they would put up little booths to remember the time of their wilderness wanderings, wanderings, and they would put palm branches on top of their huts or or. Their little booths, uh, palm branches for roofs, and that would be symbolic of the celebration. Uh, so here we find them in righteousness, being clothed in white, in celebration. And the celebration not only represents by the white robe, but by the palm branches in their hand. And so we we, we are getting a picture here. Of imagine this coming through the tribulation time and, and seeing what they're going to see it's almost impossible for us to imagine that, but they're going to see a tremendously difficult time upon this earth with the wrath and the judgment and the death and the destruction, and even in the heavens seeing signs and wonders and things that are happening and so we we know that it's going to be a very frightening time, and yet as soon as they get to heaven, they are with the Lord, and then this scene is the scene, and man they are you have They have got to be, uh, if they remember anything of where they've come from, in fact, we have indications that they do at this point, remember, uh, that they're in heaven and they're surrounded with others that have been coming through this time and they are in a celebratory mode uh, celebrating and worshiping God. So it is a, a very interesting time for them to say the least. So where are they? Well, they're not on earth. They're in heaven. These are souls and folks that are now in heaven. And that's what we see. They've come through parts of the tribulation period and were killed. And we know they were killed because they're in heaven. And so they're before the throne. And the throne there is described as a magnificent place. And uh, we, we've we taken different looks to that. Back in chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, the, the right there in the midst of the throne, the throne of God, the throne of Christ, they're in heaven, and that's where they are. How did they get there? And uh, that's always a question. Well, how did they get there? They had to die. They were martyred. In chapter 20, we're going to read more about that kind of a death and what that was. But it's going to be a frightening time for them. It's not going to be an easy time. That's why I say revival. You don't think of revival like that. I've always thought a revival would be like a whole church at one place getting saved and the excitement that people are giving testimonies and, and 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 great music and I just there's all kinds of ways and be, being able to go out and share your faith and and seeing people come to know the Lord uh, but you don't think about this scene on earth during the tribulation period as being a good scene for a revival certainly not but they are in that Situation, and they are coming through the tribulation period, and they die, and now they find themselves in the around the very throne of God in a time of celebration, in wearing white, indicating yes, they are saved, and they are uh, having the palm branches, and so that brings us to the next point. And the next point is we we see number one is the the comment, number two is the crowd, number three is the clothing, number four is their cry. Look at verse 10. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That would be my cry. I would hope that would be my cry too, as to suddenly be in heaven, ready to celebrate being in heaven, and your first attention is drawn as to salvation is to our God. And they say, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne. Just those two words, our God, our God, that's startling. I mean, we look at the world today and we get so discouraged, don't we? Nation after nation after nation rejecting God. You look over to Europe where Christianity was so strong in one time during the Reformation. You look to Europe now and it's it's as though it's dead. There's a tiny, insignificant uh, little testimony there, but you look at different places. Like you look at Latin America and you see it steeped in unbiblical a non-saving kind of a system of religion. You look at Canada as pagan United States is no no different. We're indifferent to religious. We have few churches having impact. You look at Asia and you find steeped in all kinds of false religious systems. You look at India and you just keep moving around the globe and you say where are the believers? Where is the impact of the churches today? And you don't seem to see it. Like with America, the way it is today what's where are the Christians impacting this nation? Where are the Christians impacting our senators and our congressmen and and the laws of the land is it's it's frightening you look at Africa, same thing, so here is this mass of humanity coming from everywhere and they're saying in heaven salvation to our god means they have been unified god has become their god they're now worshiping the god who sits on the throne and they're worshiping the lamb the one they have always rejected yes they've had a change and their change has been a new heart and in that new heart was led to a, which was a new life in Christ and yes they were killed To be real honest with you, I'm not surprised in one sense, since we already know what they've just experienced, that there are many people who curse God, but there will be many others when this stuff begins to break loose who will turn to the gospel. Oh, they may curse God at first until God changes their heart. Oh, man, it it is going to be, they are going to be singing. And this multitude is crying out, it says. They cry out. In fact, that word in the original language means to to shout out in tears salvation to our God. That simply means we give him the credit for our salvation. There won't be any debate over whether it was man's will or God's will, or whether it was God who was sovereign, or God and man who was sovereign, or God and Satan who were sovereign, or or God in circumstance who was sovereign. No, the question then is, we know who it is. It is salvation to our God. Salvation is the theme of their worship, just like it is of ours today. So that's what I want to leave you with. I can't continue any further, but uh, for now, this is William Rogers, and you've been listening to Hope for the Heart, the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. This was only the very first part of this. Uh, I think I can get to the rest of this next time. So till then, keep reading your bibles, stay informed, stay in prayer, and stay in in into your bibles, reading them, never taking them for granted. And again, thank you for joining us today.